God. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that the only reason we can come to you is because of the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Lord, there was once a time where we were were closed off from God because of our sin. Yet Jesus, you made a way for a sinful man to approach a holy God because you came and you lived a perfect life and you went to the cross and you shed your blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And because of your work, Jesus, the righteous requirement of God has been satisfied. Judgment has been quenched. Death has been defeated. And we will not have to suffer the penalty of hell. And now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have a Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And you want to give us grace and mercy in a time of need. So in obedience to that command, it is, it is our pleasure to come to you this morning. And God, we have several things upon our hearts and our minds that we want to lift up to you in a time of pastoral prayer. God, we think of our brother Tyler Dirks just down the street here at the East Charlotte Church plant, a plant from our presbytery. God, we pray for Tyler and that church, Lord. Strengthen him even this morning as he preaches your word and grow that church in your grace. Father, we pray for local ministries. We think of Johnny and friends. What a unique mission they have to extend love and the message of Jesus to those who are affected by disability, not, not only here but all over the world. Father, be with that ministry team and may the gospel expand through them. We think about Andrew Holbrook with Christ Presbyterian Church Plant in Connecticut. God, strengthen Andrew and the elders and deacons there, Father, as they seek to bring forth your gospel throughout this nation. God, we think globally of Mexico, of Esau Reyes at First Presbyterian Church with MTW, our missionaries, Lord. God, I know it can be a lonely time, even on the mission field, but strengthen this dear brother in that work for the cause of Christ. And bring many, Lord, to know the Lord Jesus Christ through this ministry, we pray. Father, we think about our state government. We think about our governor, Roy Cooper. Protect him, watch over him. May he seek to please you in the decisions that he makes, Father. We pray for wisdom and guidance for him. God, we think here at home at Redeemer, we we think about our own missions committee. God, I thank you so much for Durley Cothran and his work and chairing that committee. And I pray, God, as they meet and talk about the future plans of missions, be with them and strengthen them, Father. And may we be a church that is going out with a mission mindset for you. God, we think of some of our church members. We think of Bill Hall, understanding that in this past week, Lord, his mother went to be with you. We know that he's traveling, he and Nancy uh, from Brevard, even back here tomorrow. Watch over them, Father. Give them traveling mercies and graces. God, we continue to pray for Ernesto and Awara Fernandez. We pray for Trent and Catherine Thomas. God, they've had such a difficult week. And we know that these dear families are so loved. God, may your mercy and grace be wrapped around them mentally, emotionally, spiritually. May they know your presence, Father. Comfort them, Lord, with your peace. We also pray for David Uran and his family as he continues to lead over at Carolina. Thank you for the word that he shared this week and that the gospel went forth from his mouth. Strengthen him, Father, as your servant. God, we pray for Durley's mom, Ebba, 
and his father Alton. We know that Ebba's health is, is failing, Lord. And we pray for wisdom for Durley and for his sister as they care for their dear mother. God, we continue to pray for Sandy. Strengthen her as she goes through this treatment for cancer. God, we thank you for the report of Aaron Ray, who had a good report this week with issues of kidney stones, Father. We thank you for that report. God, we continue to lift up April for a safe and healthy pregnancy and delivery. We continue to think of Dan and Eliza as they are going through the adoption process. Father, watch over uh, these dear folks in this time. God, we continue to pray for our building team, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the report that Mike gave us this morning, and we pray your arms of, of care would be around that, Lord. So many decisions still yet to come and to be made. Father, we pray for wisdom, discernment, and discretion, Father. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds towards the preaching of your word, open our ears to hear the things of God. Bless the reading of Scripture, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, please open to Philippians chapter 1. Continuing our study, we're going to look at the last part of verse 18 all the way through verse 26. Again, Philippians chapter 1, the last part of verse 18 through verse 26. Hear now the written word of the living God, and please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Pray with me. Father, this is your word. It is true in all that it says and teaches because you are the supreme author of it. May we worship you today through the preaching of your word. Jesus, you told us so many times in the gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So God, may we receive this word with gladness. But as your servant James has taught us, let us not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, work in our hearts today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last week when we looked at the text, immediately before this, we learned that there are so many things in life that try to rob us from joy in Christ. Think about it. We talked about the sufferings that go on in life. 
And maybe you have sufferings that are going on in your life, maybe at home or at work, in, in your family life. If you're a student, maybe at school. We think about circumstances that come our way, you know, things that just don't go your way. And those things come and they steal our joy. We think about people, detractors, enemies that we might have, people that are always standing in our way, and they steal the joy that we have in our lives. But when we looked at the text last week, do you realize that the Apostle Paul went through all three of those things? We remember that he went through great suffering on his missionary journeys, that Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was arrested several times, and even his current circumstance was not a good one when he was writing this book. Think about this. When Paul was writing Philippians, he was in jail. He was in a Roman prison. His circumstances were not very good. And just like us, he had enemies. He had, in fact, it's sad to say, he, he had some enemies that were actually local pastors in Rome, people who were jealous or envious of him and his work. But Paul looked at those sufferings, those circumstances, and even those detractors, and you know what? He did not let that steal his joy. In fact, as you look back at the text, we're reminded of what the text told us last week from verse 12. He says that all those things, they actually serve to advance the gospel. Verse 12 said, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That was his mindset. And we learned this last week. We learned that God uses the sufferings of his people to advance the gospel in the world. And did not the gospel advance? It advanced in the world. It advanced in Rome. We remember what Paul said, that because of his chains, because of his suffering, he sat there in that Philippian jail, and he was a witness to those guards. Think about it. He witnessed to those guards, and the gospel started to expand. Even to Caesar's house, the end of this book says there were Christians in that house. The gospel was continuing to work. The gospel even expanded in the church. We learned last week that those Christians in Rome who had become timid, they were emboldened because of Paul's perseverance under suffering. So their hearts were strengthened. They were encouraged to share the gospel even more boldly. Yes, God uses the sufferings of his people to advance the gospel. And what did Paul say in verse 18? Because of this, I rejoice. Through my sufferings, through my circumstances, even through my detractors, I rejoice because God's using that for his glory. Now, that was last week. Today, we're taking the next step. You look at that last phrase of verse 18, and Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. In other words, I'm going to continue to rejoice. Yes, I'm rejoicing about what God has already done in my current circumstance, but now moving forward, Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. You know, all this rejoicing, that might, that might sound a little strange. I mean, here's a guy whose circumstances are bad, whose situation is dreadful. Some people might ask, what's so different about Paul? Why is he so joyful? 
What does he have in his life that maybe I don't have in mine? Beloved, our text today actually answers that question. And we're going to find that it's not a what that Paul has in his life. It's a who that Paul has in his life. You see, Paul was united to the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew him as Savior and as Lord, and he followed hard after him. And everything that happened in Paul's life, he viewed it through his relationship with Jesus. There is a verse in this text, a verse maybe you have put to memory, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. I call it Paul's worldview. Because in one sentence, he takes all the issues, not only of life, but even of death. And he teaches us as Christians how to properly view all of life and all of death. And he says it's all through Christ. For here's what it says. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I were to take one verse from the Bible and say, that, what is Paul's worldview? It's this verse. Paul is teaching us how to live. Paul is even teaching us how to die. And he says that's all through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to zoom in. I want to focus on this worldview. I want to focus on this verse 21. And today, as we do this, this sermon is going to break down into two simple parts, really. The first one is this, a life in Christ. And then secondly, the gain of death. A life in Christ, and secondly, the gain of death. Look back with me at verse 21. What is the first part of Paul's worldview? He says it this way. For to me, to live is Christ. If you do a study on this text in the Greek, there's actually no verb. It says to live, Christ. That everything about Paul's life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So this, this, this phrase, to live is Christ, what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? How are we to break that apart? This is not an exhaustive explanation, but I think if we take a step back and we look at the totality of Scripture, we look at Paul's writings, we can learn what he means by saying to live as Christ, and it breaks down to at least three things. To live as Christ first means coming to the Lord Jesus Christ to know Him as Savior coming to Jesus. Think about the history of Paul, why he would make a statement like this. The apostle Paul, his his name wasn't always Paul, was it? It was Saul. And Saul was a Jew, and he thought he had it all together, didn't he? The Bible tells us a lot about Saul. In fact, Saul tells us a lot about Saul, even in this book of Philippians. He thought he had it all together. He he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. He was a Pharisee. And to the outward world, no one could accuse him of any kind of misconduct. He was faultless according to the law. 
Again, he went through his life as a Jew and he checked all the boxes. Yes, I've done this, I've done this, I have a great heritage, I've had this ceremony of circumcision, my life to the outside world, it, it looks great. But one day, Acts chapter 9 says that this Saul, who was actually on his way to persecute the church, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus threw him off his horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in response, I love that response, even then he recognized the Lordship of Christ. He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul, or excuse me, Saul at that time, he had an, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that experience, the Bible says he was humbled and he recognized the Lordship of Christ. He finally came to see his sin. He admitted that he needed Jesus as his Savior. And he came to know the Lord in a very personal, relational way. Beloved, what this teaches us is that coming to Christ is not just about checking the boxes. Because as a Jew, Paul had every box checked. He had character checked. He had ceremony checked. As we would say in the church, he knew all of his creeds. Check. And he wore these things as merit badges, as the merit badges of Judaism, but he didn't know the Messiah to which these marriage badges of Judaism pointed. He never knew Jesus. And God finally taught him that he needed to come. He needed to come to Christ to have a personal relationship with him. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just have us come to him and acknowledge who he is. He wants us to come to him and know him personally through a relationship. So this begs the question of all of us here today is do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to Christ? Maybe you, like Paul, you have all the merit badges. All your boxes are checked. You have the box of church attendance, check. You might have the box of church membership, check. You might teach a Sunday school class, check. You might lead a life group, check. You might have a leadership role within the church, check. Let's be reminded that Saul had the same thing. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've been confirmed. You have all the merit badges, but you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You've never come to him. You've never knelt at the cross and said, Lord, I trust you. Forgive my sin. Let me know you in a personal way. Beloved, if that's you today, I've got good news for you. The arms of Jesus are open wide. For me to live as Christ is first coming to Christ and knowing his, as, Him as Savior. The arms of Jesus are open for you today. But secondly, it's not only coming to Christ, but it's abiding in Christ. To live as Christ means to come to Him, but then secondly, to abide in in him. Do you remember that story of Mary and Martha in the Bible? Those two sisters, they were so different. Anybody got a brother or sister? I'm, you're just very different from them. 
Your personality is not their personality. The way you do things is not the way they do it. Does that ever make you mad? Hey, just this week, I was watching Brock and Macy. We asked them to, to put away the, the dishes in the dishwasher. And they wanted to divide it up, you know. So one of them actually sat down and watched the other one put up the dishes. And they were going to wait and make sure they did their part. And then the other one would get up and put up their dishes. I said, no, you both are going to get up and do it right now. But, they're, you know, they, one was working, one was resting. It was the same way with Martha and Mary. You remember Martha and Mary, they were the sisters of Lazarus. Um, Jesus was over their house one day. And what was Martha doing? I identify with Martha. She was a busybody. She was serving. She was making sure everything was prepared, everything was nice, the table was set, things were put away. But do you remember what Mary was doing when she was doing that? She was sitting down, wasn't she? She was sitting down at the feet of Jesus. And that really bothered Martha. Martha was a busybody. She was a servant. And it bothered her to the point that what did she do? She went over and got Jesus involved. Jesus, don't you see? I'm serving. She's sitting. Don't you see the issue? Are you, are you going to do anything about this? And Martha thought, man, Jesus is going to be on my side. He's going to support my view. He's going to put Mary in her place. But what did he do? He gently reminded Martha, or told Martha, Martha, Mary's the one that's got this right. Martha's sitting at my feet learning from me. Martha, or excuse me, ah, Mary's the one that's got this right. Mary's sitting at my feet, right, and abiding with me. Mary is cultivating a relationship with me. Oh, dear Martha, just stop serving and come over here and sit down beside your sister and learn from me. Dwell with me. Abide with me. I don't know about you guys, but I make this mistake all the time. I, I, I think if, if I'm busy, if I'm serving, that's, that's the high thing. And this, this thing called abiding, I can just do away with that. That's, that's not that important. But Jesus teaches us in a text like this, what we need is to abide with him. Do you, do you remember John 15 when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches? Remain in me and I in you. Abide with me. Dwell with me because without me, you can do what? Nothing. The importance of abiding with Christ. Beloved, Paul was abiding with Christ. He was cultivating his relationship with Jesus through God's word, through prayer, through worship. We need to do the same. Who do you cultivate a relationship with? Your family? Good. Your friends, excellent. Your children, your parents, people at work, awesome, excellent. Do you cultivate your relationship with Jesus? Do you abide with him? Or are we just so busy serving, running around, where we just need to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary? I know I need to do that more in my life. 
Jesus teaches us the importance of not only coming to him, but abiding with him. I am the vine, you are the the branches. Remain with me, abide with me, for without me you can do nothing. Tozer once said it this way, we have almost forgotten that God is a person and as such can be cultivated as any person can. Beloved, we need to spend time at the feet of Jesus in his word and in prayer because to me to live as Christ is not only coming to him, but it's abiding with him. But it's also at least one more thing. It's following hard after him. When Jesus called those disciples, what did he say? Follow me, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They left their nets, they followed. And Jesus took them to some wonderful places. He took them to a wedding. It's a great time. They got to watch him turn water into wine. They had some great moments together as a group with the 12. They got some pleasant times near the Sea of Galilee. They were there when he fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. Those were great times to follow Jesus. But at other times, his disciples were asked to follow him through some very very difficult situations, through angry crowds, a turbulent boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, face-to-face with his opponents, the Pharisees, the chief priests. As James Montgomery Boyce said, at last the steps of Christ led up the steep ascent to Jerusalem, and they stopped at the foot of the cross. The disciples were stunned. The work of three years of appeared to have been undertaken in vain. But instead, Jesus' work was finished. Atonement was made. The veil was torn in two. Christ had provided access for all believers into God's presence. Beloved, in the same way, we too must follow Christ. To live as Christ, it not only means coming to him, it not only means abiding with him, but it means following hard after him. And yes, Christ is going to take us through some very good times. And it will be easy for us to linger in pleasant places. But will we? Will we follow Jesus through the hostile crowds? Will we follow Jesus when the seas around us get turbulent? Will we follow Jesus when he even asks us to take up our cross and follow him? That's what the disciples did. That's what Paul's doing in this text. Paul's following Jesus through very difficult times. But following Jesus is part of a life of knowing Christ. For me to live as Christ means i got to follow wherever he leads me. Because of what Jesus did for our sin, we come to him as Savior. Because we can cultivate a relationship with him, we abide with him as the vine. Because he's in control of our life, we follow hard after him as our Lord. And within life, beloved, if we ever have trouble, we can lean on him. If we ever have a need, we can depend on him. If we ever want to talk to him, we can pray to him. 
And because we want to obey him, we go out as a witness for him, doing everything for his glory. It's time to fill in the blank. We've all taken a fill-in-the-blank test at school, haven't we? It's time to fill in the blank. For me to live is blank. Fill it in. It's a hard question. A few moments ago, Eric read the story of the rich young ruler. I love that story. Young man, wealthy. He had something on his heart, didn't he? (laughs) He had to ask a question. What do I got to do, Jesus, to have eternal life? Jesus tells him, obey the law and you'll be perfect. Now, Jesus knew he couldn't do that. He was hoping he'd see his own sin and come to Christ, but he didn't. He said, Jesus, I've done that. There's got to be something else. What else do I got to do? Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come and what? Follow me. Did you see that? See, to to live as Christ means to follow Christ. He said, go sell everything you had, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Was Jesus saying that possessions are inherently bad? I don't think he was. Not at all. But he knew something about that young rich ruler. He knew that that young man loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. And beloved, if there's anything in your life that you love more than Jesus, Jesus says, we've got to cut that out. We've got to get rid of it. Pluck your eye out, cut your hand off. Sell your possessions, give give those possessions to the poor in this case, and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler at that moment had to fill in the blank, didn't he? And he had to decide, to me, to live as what? And I wish I could tell you that he gave those possessions to the poor and followed Christ, but he didn't. The Bible said he went away sad because he had great wealth. He loved the things of this world more than the things of God. And he went away sad, had no joy. For to him to live was possessions and great wealth. Beloved, we all got to fill in the blank. What is it in our lives? To me, is, to, me to live What is it? Professional success? Is it popularity? Is it being a sports star? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your addiction? Is it your possessions? The Bible calls us to take a hard look at that in our life because true joy will only come when we say, for me to live is Christ, coming to him, abiding with him, following hard after him. But secondly, we see the gain of death in this text. Look at the end of verse 21. We'll just read the whole verse. For to me to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. Think about Paul's situation. He was in prison. He knew that his life might come to an end very quickly. He had been doing this for years. It could be a very short time. But what was his worldview? What was his mindset even towards death? He says, for death is gain. Death is gain. Again, no verb in the text. To die, gain. What Paul is teaching us, beloved, is that physical death is actually a gateway to eternal life 
with God. And again, we step back and we look at the writings of Paul. I want to talk about a few scriptures that Paul, where he talks about the gain of death from the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about death. And he talks about our bodies. And he calls them tents. Our bodies are like tents. You ever done any camping? You go camp in a tent? I, I didn't do much. I did a little bit as a teenager. But I learned very quickly when I went camping, if I was going to be in a tent, I wanted a new tent, not an old tent. <laughs> I wanted a new tent. Why? Because new tents, man, the zipper works, right? The zipper works. The, the new tent, it's, it's a little nicer, a little cleaner. It's not ripped. It keeps the water out if it rains. New tents are nice. I would always try to get in the new tent because I, I learned that. Why? Because I had camped in an old tent. The zipper never works on an old tent, does it? It never works. It never sets up correctly. You're always looking for poles that you've lost. And, and then it rains and you touch the side and the water comes in instead of stays out. Camping is not very fun in an old tent, right? Now think about this whole tent illustration. Because Paul calls our bodies tents in 2 Corinthians 5. Is a tent a permanent dwelling place? Is that, is, is that its intention? It's not. It's never meant to be a permanent dwelling place. It's a temporary dwelling place, not a permanent dwelling place because tents break down over time, just like our bodies. By the way, does your body get better or worse over time? <laughs> Can you identify with the tent thing? You get, we get that? Our bodies don't get worse or don't get better. They get worse over time. And Paul says our bodies are like tents that break down. But he gets to that point in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, guess what? When your tent breaks down and you're absent from the body, be encouraged because you're going to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When your tent breaks down, beloved, you do not have to have anxiety or worry. Why? Because death is gain. To live is Christ and death is gain. 1 Corinthians 15, it's the resurrection chapter. Paul talks all about the resurrection of Jesus. It says, Jesus died and rose again, and, and our salvation is absolutely dependent upon his resurrection. In that chapter, he says that death is our last enemy. It's the last thing you got to face in this life. Enemy, that doesn't sound good. There's something i got to defeat. There's an enemy. We try to defeat death, don't we? All the time. We take medicines. We go to hospitals. We have surgeries. We try to prolong our lives because death is our enemy. But guess what? We're going to die. It's appointed unto man wants to die, the Bible says. And death is our enemy. But you know what 1 Corinthians 15 says? It says that Jesus defeated death. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Easter and that, and that story. Jesus, he died. He really died. And they put him in that tomb. They put that rock in front of it. They said, this is going to keep Jesus in. He can't get out. He's dead. You remember the quote from Dr. Kelly? When death took on Jesus of Nazareth, it took on too much. 
Because on the third day, he rose again. And when he did, he defeated death. And guess what? If you have Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, because of what Christ has done for you, you are united to his life work. Therefore, death is defeated in you. That's why at the end of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul taunts death. He says, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to fear death because death is gain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's that young church at Thessalonica. They didn't know what happened when people died, even Christians. They were worried. What's going to happen to them? Paul writes to them in that chapter and says, young believers, when a Christian dies, there's grief. But it's not a grief without hope. When Lazarus died, going back to Mary and Martha, when Lazarus died, did Jesus grieve? Yes, he did. He stood right in front of that tomb and he wept. But the same Jesus who stood there and wept said, I'm the resurrection and the life and this man is coming out of that grave today. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a trumpet sound. The archangel will shout and the dead in Christ will rise. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. Together we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look at it. The last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another in the, with these words. Why? Because death is gain. To live is Christ, beloved, but death is is gain. Paul even says in this text in Philippians, departing to be with the Lord, that's better. That's better by far. And this is wonderful news for the believer. Physical death is simply an entrance to a full life with God. Do you see how far the Bible goes, the extent to which it goes to encourage you as a Christian, to take away your anxiety, to take away your fear about death? It flips it on its head. This world says, I'm going to have anxiety about it. I'm going to fear it. It's something I've got to be scared of. Paul said, oh no, death is gain. Because death is seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. Because he defeated death, death is defeated even in me. Beloved, as we close this morning, again, it's time to fill in the blanks. We see Paul's worldview. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What's ours? Fill in the blanks. To live is blank. To die is blank. These are not easy questions. They take us to the very core of our life and even our death. But when it comes to living, are we willing, first of all, to come to Christ as Paul did? Are we willing to abide with Christ as Mary did? Are we willing to follow Christ as those disciples did, even in the turbulent places, because to live is Christ? And when it comes to death, we need to understand when this old tent breaks down and the zipper stops working and the water's coming in in our lives, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To understand that, yes, death is our enemy, but Christ is the divine warrior who defeated that old enemy called death. And do we realize that the dead in Christ will rise and be encouraged with these words, beloved, to live is Christ.
and to die is gain. Pray with me, please.